We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 25, and I'm excited to share this word with you today because it's a message that I believe all of us need to hear over and over again. Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 25, and um, the title of today's message is The Pathway to Joy in Your Life, and so let's pray. Uh, God, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to share your word with your people. I ask, Lord, that you would, through your spirit, minister grace to the hearers. Lord, I pray that um, we would all purpose to receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. Lord, that you would remove distractions and anything that would keep us from receiving what you have for us. I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us individually that which we need to hear and at the end of the day that Jesus may be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The pathway to joy. Joy is such an important thing in our lives. In fact, the uh, Bible teaches us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And actually being a joyful person uh, is a strength that we have as believers. When David had sinned with Bathsheba and he was uh, confronted by Nathan and he repented and he's right we have his prayer of repentance and in Psalm 51, one of the things that he says is restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And so just by the very fact that we call ourselves Christians, that we have been redeemed, that we have eternal life should give us a sense of joy. And as the Holy Spirit is working in our life, the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, temperance, goodness, faith against such things. There is no law. And so you see how important joy is in our lives. And so what I want to do today, I want to do something a little bit different. I'm actually going to start reading at verse 22 through 25, and then I'm going to come back to verse 19 and work our way down there. So having said that, let's begin reading there at verse 22. It says, for me, 21, hold on, 21, But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you, and being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of your faith. Prior to mentioning his confidence of remaining with them for their spiritual growth, and their joy of their faith. Paul describes this tension. He says, I am hard pressed between the two. I don't know 
what to choose. And uh, I had a similar experience. Uh, some days ago, we celebrated my grandson's Alaric's birthday at Red Robin. My family likes to eat at Red Robin. That's my wife's favorite place for burgers. If she ever wants a burger, I have to go to Red Robin. Wendy's, McDonald's, that they won't do. She wants, likes Red Robin. And so um, I am at Red Robin glancing over the menu, and I am uh, faced with a conundrum because they have these really unique names for burgers at Red Robin. And so I was torn between the Mad Love Burger and the Burning Love Burger. <laughs> and I just couldn't make up my mind because the, the Mad Love has avocados and it had bacon. It had this special sauce and it just uh, would look delicious. And the bun was a special bun. But the Burning Love has the chipotle sauce and they have the jalapeno on top with a long toothpick, which I love spicy. And so I can identify with Paul. I was... Pressed, I was, uh, I did not know what to choose. <laughs> but since I was feeling adventurous that day, I went with the mad love. And so he holds these two thoughts in a healthy tension. The thought of staying with them to help them and the thought of going on to be with the Lord, which Paul says is much better. Uh, there are some healthy tensions uh, we experience as we walk along our journey with Christ. Now, I have to credit this phrase to my pastor, Sean Brown, because he is the first person I ever heard say this phrase. So I am going to give credit to where credit is due. This phrase, healthy Tensions, But uh, here are some examples of some healthy tensions we might experience. There is a healthy tension between uh, the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. The fact that God is supreme and he is the ruler and he's in charge. And yet there are some things that we are responsible for doing. We live between that tension. There is a tension between trusting God with all of our heart and working with all of our might. We pray like it all depends on God and we work like it all depends on us. There's a tension that exists there. There's a tension between my condition as a sinner. I know that I sin and sometimes I do things that I don't want to do and yes, my position, I am a righteous person. I have been justified with Christ. And so we live between these tensions. And what is wonderful about these healthy tensions is that they give us an opportunity to respond. And we get to choose the attitude we have as we endeavor to walk with Christ, as we endeavor to have joy in our lives. And Paul responds to this tension in our lives. And we're going to see how he responds. And I've, as you guys probably have noticed, if you've heard me preach before, I like alliterations, which mean I like to give you words that start with the same letter as a teaching tool to help you remember things better. And so I'm going to give you four words that start with the letter E. And in verse 19, we read this, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul believes that God is going to hear the prayers of the church and he will be delivered. 
Paul believes that he's going to be set free from prison because as he's writing this letter, he's actually imprisoned in Rome. And so he believes that God is going to supply the spirit of Jesus Christ through the prayers of the saints, and he is going to be set free. It's a wonderful thing to see that Paul knew that the church was praying for him. The church was engaged with God in prayer for Paul, which brings us to the first E. We must engage. We must engage with God, but also, which is really what I want to focus on, is engage with Others, I often think we don't have a problem engaging with God, but uh, I find more and more as I go along my journey that uh, oftentimes our problem comes engaging with others. We are not meant to do life alone. Someone uh, compiled a list of uh, all the times the Bible says one to another in the Bible, and uh, they compiled about 59 in the New Testament. I'm going to read some of them to you to give you an idea of the importance of uh, being engaged with others in the body of Christ. And uh, obviously, the most obvious one is love one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves, live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. Instruct one another. Agree with one another. Serve one another. Bear one another in love. Be kindly compassionate to one another. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Submit to one another in the fear of Christ. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Admonish each other. Encourage each other. Spur one another to love and good works. Let us do not slander one another. Love one another deeply. Offer hospitality to one another. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Greet one another and have fellowship with one another. Without people in our lives, we are not doing Christianity the right way. There must be people in our lives whom we, we can be honest with. There must be people in our lives whom we can go through the scary ordeal of being transparent with. There must be people in our lives whom we can share our struggles with. When we don't, what we are saying by default is this. I don't want to grow spiritually. I don't want to be accountable. You may be here today and say, uh, Tito, I just don't want people in my business. I don't want people to know my sin. Can I tell you a little secret? We already know you're a sinner. We are all sinners. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1 says this, 
Whoever separates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all wise counsel. Whoever separates himself seeks his own will, not God's will. Whoever separates himself is trying to do his own thing, not God's thing. When we choose to do Christianity by ourselves, there has to be someone in our lives that can confront us when we are wrong. The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Do you have friends in your life that are faithful enough to wound you and tell you when you are wrong? Do you have people in the body of Christ that will call you on the carpet about your sinfulness and your misdeeds and your misconduct? Now, I understand that there are some people, and and none of you are like this, there are some people who like to confront but do not like to be confronted. (laughs) There are some people who are never wrong, they're never in sin, you're like... And so, but there must be that, that person in our lives that can tell us, uh, that can Matthew 18 us. The Bible says, if your brother's sin goes to him, if, and I'm going to say this and move on, if uh, we do not like to be confronted, it is our pride that keeps us from wanting to be wrong. And pride is sin. And our pride and our sin will keep us from growing. And what will happen eventually is that you will become a legend in your own imagination because you're the one that's always right. You're the one that's always giving the correction. You're the one that's always giving the rebuke. And you are never, ever, ever, ever wrong. And so there must be people. We have to do this thing called Christianity the right way. There have to be people in our lives whom we can seek Counsel from having godly counsel is so important. And a lot of what I do is counsel. Let me give you a few verses of what the Bible says about counsel. In Proverbs eleven fourteen, it says, where there is no counsel, the people fail, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Proverbs 24, 6 By wise counsel, you will wage your own war, and in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And so it's important that we learn how to do life together. We have to be purposeful about having community as believers. Church has to go beyond just doing church on Sunday, and it has to be done in small groups, and it has to be doing and letting people in your lives and, let, and getting in other people's lives, too. That's community. Now, I, I understand that uh, making friends and having friends and, and developing relationships can be scary, and, and it takes some wisdom. And so one of the things that we have to do is pray for wisdom. Because I I have some people who I call friends, but I have some people who are friends, but they're really acquaintances. Because I know that some people have a problem with gossip. And you can't tell them your business because then the whole church will know about your business. And your worst fears will come a reality. And so we have to exercise wisdom when getting to know people. And so as I get to know people, I'll tell them something that I don't mind everybody knowing. 
And if it gets around, I know, okay, I got to scratch you off. I know how you get. I got to put you on the acquaintance category. I can't bring you into the inner circle where you, I call you a friend. And if, if they're faithful over little, I'll make them rule over many. Then I can tell them something else that may be a little bit more confidential. And if that doesn't get around and they don't start looking at me crazy because I'm a preacher. And then, oh, my gosh, you committed that sin. Oh, God. And they start. Then if they know how to handle it, then we can continue to develop a relationship. And so we have to learn how to build relationships with one another because everybody's not in the same place. There have to be people in your life who mentor you. There have to be people in your life whom you mentor. There has to be people in your life who you do fun stuff with, who you do life with. We are a Christian community. And so engage with God and engage with one another. Verse 20 says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I will be ashamed. The apostle Paul, he believes this so deeply that he says, I am expecting. I have an expectation, which brings us to the second E, expect. The phrase eager expectation is the Greek word apokaryadokia. It means a, a watching with an outstretched head. It is a strained expectancy, an eager longing, a stretching forth of the head, indicating an expectation of something from someplace. Paul expected to be delivered. Paul expected for God to move in his life. Let me ask you a question today. Uh, do you expect for God to move in your life? We must, when we pray and when we, as we engage in God, trust that God will move. We must have an expectation. Uh, there was a man in Acts chapter 3, he was late, he was a paraplegic man, he was, he was a, a man who was at the gate, and Peter and John were coming in, he was crippled, and, and John, John, he looks upon James and John because he's sitting there asking for money as people go into the temple, and as they are going in to the temple at the hour of prayer, the Bible says that Peter and John said, look on us. And then the Bible records this phrase, and he looked at them expecting to receive something. He looked at them expecting to receive something. Now, he was probably expecting to receive money, but Peter and John look at him and say, silver and gold have I none but such as I have. Rise up and walk. And he rose up and walked and entered the temple Enter the temple praising and leaping and praising God. But there was an expectancy there. David in the Psalms, he says to us, Psalm 27, verse 13 and 14, I would have fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. David is saying, I'm living my life in such a way that I believe that God is going to be good to me in my life. I think that sometimes we don't believe that God is good. And I want to remind you that the Bible says that God is good. In fact, it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It is the goodness of God that changes us from the inside out. And so it is important that we live with a sense of 
expectation. Are we living in expectation? The second part of verse 20 says this, but with all boldness as always, so now Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul asserts that God is going to get praise and glory out of his life one way or another, either by life or by death. Which brings us to our next E, exalt. God wants to be exalted in our lives. Now, this E calls us to make a personal assessment. In doing so, we must ask ourselves some questions. Do we worship God with our words? That the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Do we worship God with our thoughts? Do we worship God with our actions? Are our thoughts and efforts more directed toward the cares of this world and other things or toward worshiping God? Does our love for God lead to a worshipful lifestyle? How are we spending our time? How are we spending our days? Is our life being spent for the cares of this world or is our life being spent for God? Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 15. He says, I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls. I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls. He's indicating that he's willing not only to give of his resources, but he's willing to spend his life as an act of worship toward God. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Some translations uh, render that part, which is your act of worship. Our living must be an act of worship. A.W. Tozer, in his book, uh, the pursuit of God, and toward the end of the book, in one of the chapters, he, he names the chapter the sanctity of living. He makes the assertion that driving a bus or being a cashier is just as holy as having communion. He says that they are not equal they are not the same, but they are equal in worship. We can be just as worshipful, worshipful as being a cashier, as driving a bus, as when we're changing the baby's diaper, as when we are having communion. He, he drives home this idea that our whole existence is an act of worship. And it's all the attitude in the internal posture with which we live life. Is Christ being exalted in your life? 
Now, I have been on a journey to try to live like this. And, I, and one of the things that I say to you is, one, I am constantly having to recalibrate because I have the tendency to compartmentalize things in my life. And I can get sidetracked on the task and forget that sweet communion with Christ as I am doing this. The other thing that I have noticed and that I will warn you of, that the closer I get to God and the more that I try to do this, the more sinful I realize that I am. And that is not necessarily a bad thing. That's not for you to, to, to feel bad about yourself or to bring you down. But it's the more you begin to recognize how great God is, the more you recognize how much you need him and how much you depend on him. And how much we depend on his grace. Separated from him, we can do nothing. It is in him that we live and move and have our being. And so when we become aware of our condition, we thank him for the cross and we thank him for our position. And we are reminded that it is he is the one that gives us the power. That he is the one that works in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Exalting God with our lives. And as Paul is bringing this to a close, let's read the last verse and then we'll close. For to me to live is Christ and to die is a gain. Now, it is obvious from this verse that Paul holds eternal life in high regard. And one of the questions that I usually encourage people to contemplate is, are you living in the light of eternity? When you're faced with uh, difficulties, when you're faced with challenges, uh, when, when you feel attitudes that are arising within you, when you find yourself getting frustrated about different things, ask yourself this question, in the light of eternity, does it really matter? Well, they talked about me in the light of eternity. Does it really matter? Well, they don't like me in the light of eternity. Does it really matter? Well, they, they have a wrong perception of me in the light of eternity. Does it really matter? Well, they don't give me an opportunity in the light of eternity. Does it really matter? For I consider that the suffering of this present age are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. Are we living our life in the backdrop, with the backdrop of the stage of eternity? Because you see, at the end of the day, the Bible says this, for God so loved his world, this world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is the end goal, isn't it? That Jesus died on a cross for the forgiveness of my sin, that he became a substitute, that he bore the penalty because I was born a sinner and of my own self, I could not attain to the righteousness of God because God's standard is not being good. God's standard is being perfect. And none of us was perfect except for Christ. And that's why he died for my sins. And when I place my faith on the cross and the substitute that Christ did and that he was buried and placed in a tomb and rose from the dead, then I have eternal life. And so when I believe that, that gives me great joy. 
I can live a life exalting God. I can live a life in the light of eternity. I can live a life expecting from God. I can live a life engaged with God and with others. And like the Apostle Paul says, it results in the joy of the furtherance of the faith. And so as I bring this message to a close, I want you to consider your responses. How have you been responding? Have you been lacking joy in your life? Has, has the, the winds blowing and the, 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 the po politics and the economy and people's attitude or your marriage or your kids or things going, you know, around in the church, out of the church, do those things tend to steal your joy? You know, the Apostle Paul, as I mentioned before, wrote this book from prison. And, and someone in an article that I read, read actually called this the book of joy. I, I actually went through the exercise of counting how many times the word joy, rejoicing, and gladness is used in the book of Philippians in four chapters. And it was 16 times. But here's the thing. He writes this letter to thank them for their gift, but he, he thanks them to talk. He writes to them also to talk to them about their joy. He says, rejoice in chapter 4. And again, I say rejoice, but he's imprisoned. The guy that's in jail, in prison, is writing to the people who are on the outside telling them about joy. And so I want you to consider the backdrop of the book as we walk away today and be encouraged to have joy in your life because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And remember to engage with God and engage with others and expect his goodness in your life and exalt him in your life. And more than anything, live your life in the backdrop of eternity because at the end of the day, what people do, don't do, what they give you, don't give you, what happens or doesn't happen in the light of eternity, does it really matter? Will Christ still be on the throne? Is Jesus still Lord? Is the word of God still true? In the light of eternity, does it really matter? So rejoice again, I say rejoice. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to share your word. I pray, Lord, that uh, if anyone's in here today and uh, doesn't know you, Lord, that this would be the day that they would surrender their lives to you. I pray that if someone in, is in here and they came depressed or discouraged or disappointed, Lord, that you would fill them with joy. That if someone came, Lord God, and they felt bogged down by the cares of life or frustrated or distracted from their relationship with you because of things that going on beyond their control, I pray that today would be the day that they will lift their eyes to the hills where their help comes from. In Jesus' name. Amen.